I bought 54 houses this year with not only zero dollars out of pocket, but actually receiving $450,000 back at closing. Dude, holy crap. So you got paid $450,000 to buy 54 houses this year. Correct. And that was, that was a combination of two transactions. And I'm about to pull off the third of that structure, making it the hat trick. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. What's up, Action Academy family? Welcome back to the show where in the next 60 minutes, I hope you become rich, happy, and free with a capital F. I'm your host as always, Brian Lubin, and the soundbite at the beginning of this intro should have already hooked you until the end of the episode, which is where we talk about how today's guest got paid, paid, P-A-I-D, $450,000 at the closing table to buy 54 houses last year. I don't know about y'all, but uh, that's pretty freaking cool. But first, before we get into the intro of today's show, I want to give a shout out to two special people. One is Mr. Logan Rankin. Logan is a buddy of mine that just came and spoke to our Action Academy community. A lot of you guys have probably listened to him on this podcast. I'll link his episode in the show description. But Logan's a big multifamily guy like today's guest. He has a $100 million net worth at like 34 years old in a massive company that does acquisitions. So he walked us through his rent rolls. He walked us through what he looks for in acquisition and how he repositions his units. He walked us through how he walks his properties, how he rehabs them, how he has his team set up to where they can go and do a turn in 72 hours for a unit, and then how he exits the deals. So that was a freaking awesome call that we had in the community. Thank you to Logan. And also shout out to Sarah Weaver, who is coming to teach on midterm rental underwriting here on Thursday, this upcoming Thursday. So if you guys are interested in that, you can check out the Action Academy community in the show description. And speaking of badass entrepreneurs, today we have one for you, Mr. Vince Gethings. This dude is on fire, and I've been watching him for a couple of years now, so it's awesome, and I'm honored to finally have him on the show. This dude is flirting with that eight-figure range of net worth, and he is murdering it with multiple businesses that he runs. So seriously, this is not a gimmick. Stick around to the end of the episode. That is where we go through step-by-step. He even has the exact numbers pulled up that he's doing live for this deal where he just pulled out $450,000 and got paid that to buy the 54 houses. So we walked through that. That's about the last 20 minutes of the episode. The first 30 minutes are equally as valuable, though, because no podcasts are really teaching you how to be a CEO. They teach you how to invest in real estate, but they don't teach you how to invest in your business and your people. So for the first 30 minutes, Vince breaks down his entire business strategy to where his first million was easy. One to five was pretty easy as well, but five to 10 is proving very difficult for him and he's running into bottlenecks. So that's the first 30 minutes of the conversation is what he's doing with his team, what he's doing with his hiring process, what he looks for in new hires and with new systems. So stick around for that and stick around through it. 
Guys, this is the most valuable stuff. There's a bunch of places on YouTube where you can learn how to invest in multifamily, but there's very few places that are having these candid conversations about leadership because that's what you need to do to truly build the freedom. People come on the show all the time. They have $50,000, $100,000 coming in a month. But if you don't have the systems and the team built, you will not have your freedom. So today's episode is fantastic. I hope that you guys enjoy it with Mr. Vince Gethings, and I will let him loose. Let's go. All right. We finally got him on. Vince Gethings, how are you, buddy? Good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. It's a wonderful, sunshiny day down here in Austin, Texas. I don't know if you could say the same for Michigan. It's not. It's definitely gray and about 40 degrees. Beautiful. Which the, beautiful the 40 degrees paradise. isn't bad. It's the gray. The lack of sunshine is definitely what kills your, your motivation out here. <laughs> I feel that, man. But uh, I want to talk to you today about a bunch of stuff. You're absolute baller real estate investor. You're a baller entrepreneur. A couple different angles, different avenues I want to take you down. I actually want to begin with a little teaser to people that are listening to stick around towards the end of the episode because Vince and I will dive a little bit more deep into the tactics and stuff. So I'm going to read two Facebook posts of yours. One is going to be the one that sparked the podcast because I immediately messaged you and I knew you were doing big things, but this was so punchy. And the copywriting on this was so good that I was just like, this guy's got to come on the show. So here's Vince. And by the way, guys, on your Facebook, unfriend all the chumps, like defriend all the chumps. Just add people Mm -hmm. that are freaking cool because this is what my entire Facebook feed looks like. He says, December 28th, last closing of the year, Santa emoji. Nice touch. (laughs) Selling a single family house out of the portfolio I purchased last year, a cool $150,000 payday. It's been a phenomenal year. If you want to learn how I bought 54 houses this year with not only $0 out of pocket, but actually receiving $450,000 back at closing. Dude, holy crap. So you got paid $450,000 to buy 54 houses this year. Correct. And that was that was a combination of two transactions. And I'm about to pull off the third of that structure, making it the hat trick. So it's going to be pretty awesome if I can pull this off next week. All right. Everyone's got to start somewhere. So I understand that you started small. It's okay, man. But (laughs) this is the coolest thing ever. But that's actually where I want to take us to. But where I want to begin is another post that I found just as equally interesting. And that's about your New Year's resolutions. So Mm -hmm. you have been working 12 to 16 hour days for as long as you can remember. And there are three things that you want to focus on to improve. And that's discipline, delegation, in systems and process because you want to make the jump from seven figures to eight figures. So what are you at right now for net worth? And you're trying to jump up to eight this year. Yeah. So we're right about a little North of six, right? Okay. And that has been, I feel getting to my first, the first million was way easier than I thought. Like it's more of a mental block than actually getting there. But once you get over a million dollars, ain't that much to get net worth of getting to the million was actually pretty quick. Getting to one to five wasn't terribly difficult. It was just having a set of principles and processes for business and what deals to look at and then just doing it, like doing the process to get there. But then going from five to 10 has definitely been the hardest thing I've ever done. It's definitely, I think I had in that post or one of those, it's like whatever, everything that got me to 5 million is not going to get me to 10. And like every Mm. single day that has been more clear that I have to go back and I can't keep riding the wave of everything I've been doing the last five years or six years to get me to where I'm at. It's not going to, it's not going to get me there. So all the habits I've had, that grind mentality of I'm just going to grind it out, Elon Musk style and work 18 hours a day that I can't, that's not working. 
the systems, everything, all the systems and processes I've built, and not just documentation-wise, but actual program-wise, like that the actual SaaS, they're not they're starting to crack at the seams. So it's when I'm going back and looking, my efficiencies and my effectiveness is starting to drop. It's becoming clear that okay, I have to go back and restructure a lot of stuff in order to make that next level. So I don't know if that happens to a lot of entrepreneurs or business owners, but for me, most. That is definitely something that that five to 10 jump or that seven to eight figure jump is it's a game changer. You really have to transform who you are and how you're doing pretty much everything to get you there. Yeah. That was going to be my follow-up question is what parts of you need to die? What do you think? What parts of you need to die for you to become that next version? Yeah. So me as a, coming from a military background, I'm a, I was enlisted for 15 years. I got out as a E7, which is a master sergeant in the Air Force. So like my entire adult life has been become the expert technical on my my wheelhouse. Nobody in the unit that I was in or whatever, just any senior NCO, like will know more about aircraft generation than me, right? That's your entire life is just getting planes in the air when you're expected to be the technical expert. And so it would be very good at that. And then I'm just getting it done. A lot of it, the first like 12 years of my career has just been grind that grinded out. It's up to me in order to grind it out, getting that done. So it served me well in the military. My first few companies or the first years of my companies, that grind, grinded out mentality has been great. But now when you talk about things that need to die, that lack of delegation that I have is the first thing that needs to die. So I'm like rapidly hiring eight players around me that I can start delegating tasks to. So that is definitely the first thing that needs to die is that do you want to do you want to share the Costa Rica story? Oh yeah, the one we were talking about. Yeah, so that one of the big things, go abundance and everything like that. So that, the lifestyle freedom that we're all trying to have. So we want to do this thing called world schooling, where you just pick a country and go live there for a month or whatever. Take the kids out of school and, and go do that. So we were doing like, like the trial run in Costa Rica this year over the holiday break. And the first couple of days went pretty well. Like first week went pretty well. Check my email in the morning, things like that. But like the start of that second week, it was every single day there was like a fire. Like my office manager, that was gone. So I'm like trying to <laughs> handle that. And she's like, I'm sorry, you're on vacation, but I just had to, I had to take this other offer and the time, the, click, the clock was ticking. So whatever that happens when you're a business owner, people quit. You don't you just deal with it. You don't get mad about it or anything like that. But it just was frustrating that I was like in another country it, that with limited Wi-Fi, limited phone service, things like that. So I'm like trying to put up Indeed. I'm trying to interview people. So that was like the one day. The next day, my property manager hits me with a bill for $96,000 that I wasn't expecting. I was expecting like 30000 35000 It was like ninety six. And he's like, oh yeah, there's there's receipts that weren't put in the system. I was like, that's a lot of receipts. <laughs> like I was a big... Uh, Poor thing. Yeah, I was a big area. We hashed it out. He was right from his perspective. I was right from mine. But once we got on the phone, went through everything. It, it was right. I actually owed... We ended up being like 67000 But that was like a whole day waking up to a near $100,000 bill that you weren't planning on. That That's never fun. So that was like the next day. And then the next day was something else. So it was like after that, it was like four days of just really high stress and somebody that was systems and processes oriented and like everything needs to be outlined and regimented and everything like that. SOPs, I thought I had yeah. my shit together. It became clear that I wasn't, I wasn't as good as I thought I was in, in each of my companies when it comes to, are they capable of running processes and systems without me being there and handling problems without me? So that is something I had to come back and be again, that awareness and honesty with myself and okay, I need to go back and fix. There's a lot of gaps here that when I'm here, I don't see them. 
but take me out of the equation for a couple of weeks and those become abundantly clear. So overall, the Costa Rica experiment did highlight, I guess it was successful in that point, but it definitely did highlight some issues that I had. I spent this quarter, Q1 of 23, fixing those gaps. And the next trip, we're planning going for a month, maybe to Europe or maybe New Zealand or something like that. And we'll try it again. That is the Costa Rica trip. It was a lot of fun. Highly recommend if anybody has gone there. If you're a business owner and it's your first trip abroad or first trip out outside of the company, it's probably going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. We'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and label that. Henceforth, we will call this the Action Academy Costa Rica experiment to where whenever yep. an entrepreneur comes on and they're feeling high and mighty, they feel like they've got it. I'm like, my brother in Christ, have you gone for a month <laughs> to Costa Rica with your family and young children away from the business? <laughs> Yep. Dude, what a way to stress test this. There you go, guys. If you're listening to this and you think you've got it together, go give Costa Rica a shot and see how it works. And then that's how you'll know if the business is, is churning. Dude, that, that was a really cool way to start the show, man. That was a really cool um, example and punctuation of your goals for this new year. We talk a lot about fixing SOPs and fixing systems and operations. And you're somebody that was already very regimented. So if I were to peg you on a disc profile, I'd probably peg you as a high like SC because of just how operating you are. But how do you go about like what pivots are you trying to make with your systems to be able to allow for that? Because you were already really regimented. True. And I, I, I've used a lot of the popular ones. So I use Asana religious, religiously. Everybody's connected. Google Calendar sync up. You do EOS. I, I EOS and, yeah, EOS traction and those things. So we do our level 10s. We do our pulse check. The problem is that I'm still the key person in all of those things. When it comes, I'm not necessarily changing a lot. Of, there, there's a couple like actual like softwares I'm changing. But for the most part, I'm going the who not how route where it's like I need to find somebody that is more diligent than me to start running these things and making sure they're running smooth and going back and checking every week, every quarter to make going through those workflows, going through those processes and somebody that is chairing those level tens and those post checks that, that isn't me. So that's the big route I'm going through. So I immediately, I put a job at out for the new office manager. I did things like the disc profile. I use culture index to really find somebody that had that personality trait that I'm looking for to have that uh, personal accountability um, and that diligence trait. And then also hired virtual assistants. So I hired one executive assistant. They're actually interviewing one while we're shooting this. The office manager is interviewing the second one. So I'm going the who, not how route of getting the highly qualified people to help shore up my systems and processes rather than me just keep forcing them. Nice. Let's hit on those a little bit for people that may be unfamiliar. And for guys listening, don't worry, we're going to get into the investing. But this stuff that we're talking about right now is actually significantly more beneficial for you as somebody that is either running a business or starting a business. This conversation that Vince and I are having right now is going to help you substantially more in your wealth building journey. So you said the culture index. I'm not familiar with that one. What's that so, one? So culture index, it's a program like the like DISC and Intermetrics and a lot of other popular ones. And what it does is it you take the survey, it takes about five to ten minutes. And the way you take it is so if I was gonna hire a executive assistant, for example, or like a sales manager, office manager, I first take the as what I think the ideal office manager, executive assistant, so on is, and that creates like a, the ideal profile. And then the once that is done, you get a link and you send that link to all your applicants, all the people you think will be good for this. And they take it and it has the two areas that grades them on is 
what their natural predisposition is and then what they think they need to do in order to be successful at the job you're asking them to do. And then it, so it compares those two things as well as against your ideal profile. So once you get that picture together, you'll be able to clearly see that either A, this person just doesn't understand the job that's expected of them because there's too much of a difference between their natural state and the state that they think they need to be in order to be successful at the job. Like those two profiles are really different. And the difference between their natural predisposition versus your ideal candidate. You don't want somebody to have to adapt too far in order to fit out of the their job. zone of genius. You can only adapt for so long. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to do and cut through that. And it's very, there are ones that are a lot more robust. I like this one. It's like four pages, one graph, and it's very clear. So now when I'm hiring and I put the job out on Indeed, I don't even look at the resumes. As soon as somebody hires, I'll get maybe 10 people hire a day for a job. I just send them the link to that survey. I say, hey, please, thanks for applying. Please fill out this survey. And then I'm looking at who completed the survey. And I only call them if they match like 80% or higher on my ideal candidate. Then I will go back, disqualify everybody that was 80% or less. And then I'm only talking to the people that are like 80 or 90% or higher on that, that survey. And then I'm looking at those and give you context of how much time that saves for anybody that has employees or is looking to get employees. One of the biggest time sucks you have is like that HR recruiting because you'll waste so much time reading resumes or doing interviews and it's just mind numbing. Onboarding. Yeah. Onboarding all this stuff. And then the worst part is when you waste so many hours Training. Just, <laughs> and then, yeah, just not even training. So you'd be so many hours just doing interviews or just setting up interviews, just have people flake on you and things like that. And then you hire somebody and then you do so many hours onboarding. And then just to have them not work out two, three weeks later or months later. And it's like, wow, that was a huge waste of time. So as a business owner, that is one of the most painful things. So that's what this is supposed to do. So it's, for example, my office manager position that I had to hire in Costa Rica, I put that job out, out over a hundred people applied. I interviewed three. So Ooh. that's how much time I saved. Like the top three people that matched, I interviewed them, picked one of them and she's crushing it. Their third week on the job. Yeah. And hiring, especially when you're, what's the size of your companies right now? Koala, uh, headcount. headcount. So Koala is the biggest one at 14 employees in that one. Yeah. So especially when you're early on in your hiring process, <laughs> like those first couple key hires, if you mess that up, like that could be the life or death of your company. Yeah. Honestly. So that's huge. Hit a little bit about disc because I love disc. So I'm a high. I, I, don't know, I don't know much about disc. I think we have to rely on your expertise on that. So this one, so oh, God, oh, I forgot what that, I forgot what they stood yeah, so for. This, so this I is was kind of what you saved me, man. Oh, no, I didn't. So the, uh, so the culture index, it grades you in, um, it's yeah. like one, two, three, four, five, six different areas. So it grades on like how good you are at problem solving how good you are at like people solving, how good you are on either multitasking or patience and how yeah. good you are at like finishing tasks or delegation, things like that and holding people accountable and yourself accountable. And then it also will grade on your, they call them energy units, but it's essentially like how, how good you are at like adaptability. And then yeah, I've got it, it in front of me now. I've got it in front yeah. of me now. So DISC, here's what it stands for. So D-I-C-S, D is for dominant, I is influential, C is compliant, S is steady. So the it's almost the same thing. 
Yeah. yeah, the theory behind it and the hypothesis behind it is there, there's a book in the Gino Wickman series. So you got Traction, which is EOS, and you've got Rocket Fuel, which is the visionary integrator. So the visionary is like the guy or the girl that's the person with all the vision. And that's normally like a high ID. So that's a person that's just, here's where we're going, here's what we're doing. And then you need an SC person who's a very operations systems process. They love scheduling. They love organizing. They are the ones that clear the calendars, balance the books. Like, so that's where the disc code comes in. Because if you have two people that are working together and they're both high Ds and, or high IDs, you're just going to implode because you're the same person. There's no complementary skill sets there. So that's where disc profile comes in. Man, yeah, you're supposed is, to save me very there. similar. This is, no, this is very similar. The culture index is, is very similar to that. And I don't know. I like it. It works. It's not overly complicated. I have one that's like the intermetrics and it's, I've used before. It's good, but it's, it's so much information. It's, you get a report on somebody. It's Overwhelming. Like 15 pages. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't need it. Like for some people might geek out on that no. and just need to be cleaner. Give me one graph that shows this is how this person is. Like the disc is like that. Anyway, yeah, yeah, another so good I, one. Another good one job. I found ironically is I got this piece of advice. I didn't ever think of it, but I did that with one of my assistants before. And that's love languages. Okay. Yeah. Believe it or not, just to see how they really enjoy feedback because yeah. you have the five love languages. So like <laughs> physical touch would probably not be the one that's HR appropriate, but like you yeah. can be able to tell if it's like words of affirmation, if it's acts of service, if it's quality time. Do they want more of those one-on-one interactions with you? Do they want more of the, hey, you did a fantastic job. Let me spotlight you to the team, kind of stuff like that. And that's that's, interesting. That's actually been a cool pivot. But for people listening, like all of the stuff that we're saying, I don't care if you're making $10,000, $50,000, $100,000 a month. If you don't have these systems in place and you don't develop the skills that Vince and I are talking about, you are not going to be able to go to Costa Rica for a month. And that's the Costa Rica (laughs) experiment. So Vince, before we move forward, let's go back a little bit. I'm curious about your first million because you said that it was a lot easier than you anticipated. But walk me through that process going to your first million. Yeah, absolutely. So I was in the military, Air Force. I was stationed at Travis Air Force Base. It was like 2013, and I wanted to get into my first VA house hack. But that the one I did was pretty much where you buy the crappiest house. In the nicest neighborhood. (laughs) In the nicest neighborhood that you can afford that will still pass the VA inspection. So that's the difference, right? Because it still has to pass the VA inspection, which is a little bit harder to do. So we did that in 2013, bought a house, flipped it while I lived in it for a couple of years, sold it in 2016. And then that's where I got my seed capital to start my first company, Villanautics. We cashed out of that. I think I I netted $130,000 on that first house. And then I was like hooked. So then it was just like, okay, how do I just go all in on real estate? Let's figure this stuff out. Cause I was doing, I was pretty big on like stock investing, like the whatever since 2006 to 2015. So right around 10 years of stock investing. So I was like big in value investing. I read all like the Warren Buffett books and Benjamin Graham and you know, like all those guys. heads too. <laughs> yeah. All, I had them all. So I read all those. So I was like big into that stuff. And then I was just like, it was just really hard to, I was getting like, frustrated because it was like you learn the principles like value investing and it's then you look at the stock market the last 15 years and it's like trying to find any company that remotely will match those principles became harder and harder then i saw discover real estate brandon turner had his first two books just published around that time so i read them which is like the book on rental property investing 
And it's a very good beginner book. It'll definitely get you all the information you need to get into your first couple deals. Like you don't need anything else. So I read that book and I was like, all right, I'm going to go buy some rental properties. So I bought, I didn't buy them in California. I went and bought them back in Michigan because that's where I had a competitive advantage. And I think that's key when you're buying your first couple deals. And the, what I do? So I drained my 401k. I drained everything, my brokerage accounts and everything. So I had 130 grand. Drained all, all the money I saved up to that point, and I went to Michigan. And my original goal was I wanted to buy 20 units in 10 years because that's how that's where I was at my career. I was 10 years from retirement in my career, and I only wanted 20 units because that would augment my pension to where I would be living comfortably with the mindset I had at that time. And then I read the 10x rule, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is oh. This is weak. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do 20 units as fast as possible. So that was my 10-year goal that I was so focused on was 20 units in 10 years. So I was like, it's a duplex a year. That's you know, it's smart. It's all this stuff. And then Grand Cardone stopped being a you-know-what. And I was like, all right, I got to ramp this up. So I ended up doing 20 units in months. So my 10-year goal in 18 months. And that was going from California back to Michigan and finding duplexes and fourplexes. Again, that's all I knew was just like bigger pockets investing at that time. They were very yeah, much house focused hack. on yeah, house hack vibes. Yeah, yeah. they have like they were big on like the burr strategy and the duplexes, the fourplexes. They, commercial really wasn't in their ecosystem yet. So that's all I knew. So I was going out, I was a couple of deals I found on the MLS. That was like my first couple. And then I was like, all right, then I couldn't find any there. So then I started calling ads on like Facebook and Craigslist for like rentals. Oh, I got my my duplex for rent, I would call them like, Hey, I'm not looking to rent, but I'm looking to buy. You want to sell it? And then they'd be like, Oh yeah, actually. So that's how I bought my next couple. And then, and then I hit a kind of roadblock there. So then I started pulling lists from like list source and doing mail campaigns and things like that. And then that's how I bought my next couple. So my first 18 months, it was like a lot of hustling, but again, it was a 10 year goal, hit it out in 18 months. Um, and that's how I got started. And that was my first so that was 2016, and I probably hit my million-dollar net worth somewhere around 2018-ish, 2019-ish. Yeah, so off of that... And it was a very basic. Like, I didn't do any kind of crazy mentoring programs. I didn't have to spend a lot of money. It was like literally Brandon Turner's two books, maybe $300 on list source, pulling owner lists and skip tracing and things like that, and just calling people, calling landlords. Hey, you looking to... You looking to retire? You looking to get out of this deal? Let's do it off market. Yeah. Dude, I love that. Yeah. I remember back when I was like doing the same thing. I was like, oh yeah, I'll do a house, house hack a year. And ironically, I was just looking at the math and I haven't invested in real estate in two years, which is insane to think about. And I'm not going to invest in it this year. So that's going to be three years of me not investing in real estate coming from somebody that talks about real estate investing 24 seven. But it's just, I found my niche. I found my zone, which we can get into with yours here shortly. But it's just, yeah, in the beginning, you go solo dolo and you're like, okay, I know what I know. I don't know what I don't know yet. And you're like, I'm going to go slow and steady and build the confidence. And so you took the actions. Now, I will say you probably had a bit of a heads up because of your military background and you were used Mm -hmm. to implementing and action taking and all that because a lot of people will hem and haw and get analysis paralysis. So now you just joined GoBundance. So I'm curious, coming from someone that started it off on your own, I don't think you've been in too long, but what have been some of the changes that you've seen just being in the mastermind group in general or increasing your exposure? So I've been, well, I've been in that go abundance for since July of 22. Um, and I really didn't do much the first like three months. I just poked around the different groups and everything like that. 
The but I have been in other masterminds. So I'm I'm in uh, the Wheelbarrow Profits Academy. I'm a coach for them, Jake and Gino. So I've been oh, nice. in that kind of Gino. mastermind type of world for the last few years. And that's that way when my growth from being a real estate investor, that's how I found them was in twenty eighteen. I jumped on with them because I wanted to learn multifamily. So I saw a lot of people doing these bigger deals and I wanted to learn how. And that's when I was like, okay, now I, to your point, I know what I know and I know there's stuff I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I was aware that there was a whole nother world on commercial real estate that I don't know and other people do because they're crushing it. So that's why I went out and I found another mastermind. And that was 2018. I'm still in now in that one. And that helped me really refine my commercial real estate skills. And now I, I coach for them as well. Go Abundance was, I, again, you hit kind of levels, you hit ceilings, and you have to go out and find different resources to take you to that next level. And that's how I felt last year in 22 was there was other things that I was doing that didn't fit the current mastermind I was in. Starting businesses, yeah. we're doing bigger things as far as my trust and estates and charities and life, that, that life, that life freedom, the lifestyle freedom that go is really big about the pillars and all that, the health and everything. And that was just something I was, I, again, I knew I was missing something else and I knew people had the, so I'm all about masterminds because they will shorten the curve time curve to anything you're looking to do. Yeah. And that's been my experience too, because the only reason that I'm able to have these conversations and talk and have these perspectives that I do is because I have this show and people sometimes ask me, they don't anymore just because my network's kind of gone bananas, but people would ask me in the beginning, like, what the hell, dude, where are these people coming from? And I'm just like, dude, I've been friends with them for two years. <laughs> I'm just have now interviewing them live on the podcast. And so it's been super fun and doing this is really cool. I want to go over, let's take that pivot to, Talk about how you knocked out this strategy this last year. And then also I want to, I want you to plug your event at the end as well, because we need to get people there as, as many that can go. Absolutely. So I have two main or three main companies I have. So I have Tri-City Equity Group, which is essentially my syndicate and pretty much operates like all other syndicates do. We go out, find value add real estate and growing markets, mainly sticking to the South, right? We're doing a lot in Dallas area right now. And that's pretty much what that company does. We have about 50, 60 million in assets under management in that company, about 500, a little over 500 doors. And that one just plugging along pretty well oiled machine. When we find a high quality asset, we'll go down, syndicate it and crush it. Then I have my personal rental portfolio, which I, right now I have about a hundred units in, and that's my company, Villanautics. I own that one a hundred percent. And that's here and here with me in Michigan, me just taking advantage of opportunities that come up while I'm here. Michigan's not, at least where I'm at in Michigan, is not that sexy of a market to like bring in partners and syndicate with. But I still see good, like smaller deals, like six units, 40 units, things like that. House flips. I flip a lot of houses still. So that's when I just do 100% by myself while I'm currently living here in Michigan. And then I have my franchise, which is a Koala Insulation. It's a 12-territory franchise that does home and business insulation. We do spray foam and cellulose and things like that. And that has been crushing it the, these, last, these last two quarters, really. It's only a year old, but these last six months has really been crazy. And I'm looking to pour a lot of fuel on to that. So my strategy, looking back at every year we do a, a big kind of deep dive review of what worked, what didn't, what made us happy, what frustrated the most out of our business activities, me and my team. And 
looking at 22, looking at where we think the market's going and where we want to go personally as investors, we are going to be focusing a lot more on growing and developing businesses, either buying through M&A activities, starting franchises, or just starting our own concepts and focusing a lot on growing businesses because businesses throw off a ridiculous amount of cash flow uh, compared to real estate. It's not even close. That's what I'm doing with online business, man. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like I thought cash flow in real estate was good and I just didn't know. You don't I know what you know. don't know. That's why I'm focusing a hundred percent on action capital because people don't realize my thing is a recurring, it's like an annual thing for the community. And it's like, I can get recurring cash flow on the treadmill. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Growing businesses, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot more work. Um, to me, it's a lot more risk too because there's no like underlying value to it. Asset underneath building. it, you're creating yeah. the asset. Yeah, yeah. So that there's a lot more risk, but a lot more reward. So I'm going to be focusing on me and my partner, focus on growing our franchises, growing our businesses, acquiring more businesses, get that cash flow up, and then we take all that cash flow, that free cash flow, and we buy high quality value add real estate, mainly looking at like B class value add in the hot markets in the North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas markets. And that's because that's where all your tax benefits are, right? That's all your wealth preservation is all in that high quality commercial real estate. So we're taking the best as we look back of when we really started ramping up in 2019, 2020 and looking back, and I'm actually flying out to Hawaii again, two weeks to do this again for 22, but looking back, okay, what really worked? Like when we're looking at our net worth and we were looking at our cash flow statements, like where did most of our net worth increases come from? Where did most of our cash flow come from? And what was our biggest time sucks that didn't or low ROI activities and things like that. So we go through a pretty big deep dive. It lasts about three to four days. And that's what we did last year. And then again, we're going to do it here in a couple of weeks. And then we just keep tuning and keep refining what our strategy is. And that's where we're going. We're going deeper into more businesses and more high quality real estate in the JV structure versus the syndication structure. We're still doing syndications. Love them. It's a great tool to take a piece of real estate down but looking at us, where we want to go and we where we want our families to go and things like that, the JV structure just serves us better. So we're going to be doing more JVs as those opportunities come around. So I guess when you're doing the JV structure instead of the syndication, I guess that allows for your velocity to increase, right? Because you're not having, you're not beholden to investor capital as it's taking time and you don't have that five-year balloon. Now you can just get in, get out. It, you. Both, right? So I can either have that when I have more control over the deal. So even though I'm the sponsor in KP, I still, investors will always come first on a syndication or you have that fiduciary responsibility. Their interests will always come first. And usually we're aligned, but the parts where we're not aligned is maybe we find a high quality piece of real estate that we want, maybe want to hold for 10 years. Like I, I don't want to ever sell this thing, but we end up syndicating it and your investors normally want to have a return and that five-year cycle, that three to five-year cycle, they want their capital back. So that is the syndication life cycle. The JVs, if I want to flip out of this thing in 18 months, or if I want to hold this thing for 10 years with two or three people, I have that that ability. And obviously with JV structure, you hold a lot more equity. All right. I don't know if you want to share, man. I don't know if you want to share, but I'm still, I'm curious. How'd you get paid 450K to buy houses? <laughs> yes. Let's do, so I'm going to pull off the hat trick. Like I said earlier, uh, of this strategy and it's worked out really well for me. And I'm going to share this because 
Somebody will make a million dollars off this. I'm turned so, on right now. Fine. So w- what I did is, so I, like I said before, I have Villanautics, which is my personal company here in Michigan, and I have my personal rental portfolio as well as my house flip company. And I got approached with buying, this was last year, a portfolio of houses that I think it was 50 houses. The first batch was 50 houses. And these are like C-class houses, 2% deal all day. Where I was buying them at, I bought them at $34,000 a piece. And the, the sounds like a headache. Time, what's that? Sounds like a headache. Oh, it was a headache, but it was worth it. So the first deal, that was the first one, it was 50 houses. And it was somewhere north of $2 million, something like that. It was $30, $34. I know it was 34000 a unit, so whatever that comes up to. And these are older homes, C-class, definitely headaches. That's why I have a property manager. But they make great flips for your FHA type clients where they just they're looking for their first starter home, three two starter homes, twelve hundred square feet. That's that's what this house was. Like nothing extravagant. We're not putting granite countertops, saying the seal appliances and all yeah, this no. stuff. Man. We're just clean, safe, habitable, affordable housing. So that first deal, it was like fifty four houses. I didn't have all the capital to take it down. So what I did is I found a partner to come and we split it up. So we split the portfolio. I think the first one I took about 24 houses and he took the 30. I marked his, cause we had such a good deal on it. Like the 34,000 was like, we're like basement wholesale prices on these. Like they were just looking to offload them. I marked his, his houses up like a wholesale fee, like two to $3,000. And then at closing, I took that fee and used that as my downstroke on my 24 houses. So the first transaction 24 houses. Once my fee got applied, I only had to come to the table with $16. So I bought my first 24 houses in this strategy for $16. Right. And then that kind of filled the the coffers for the, we'll call it inventory that got filled the inventory for my house flipping company. So now my house flipping company just stacked up for flipping houses for the next whatever year or two. So that's great. Fast forward three months later, another broker comes to me saying, Hey, I heard you bought this package of houses. I have another one. Are you interested in? And it was, it was 30 houses, same exact houses, you know, that the older, probably around 1950s, 1960s bills, three twos, things like that, low, lower end homes. And I said, yep, I want it. But this time I want, I want to try to do it without having the partner. I was like, I want to do this one all on my own because the first one worked out so well. And to give you a context of how well the first one worked out, I went to the table with $16. So I bought 24 hours for $16. But my equity, when we got the appraisal back, I bought my house was, there was $34,000, the average price. The average appraised value across the portfolio was $78,000. Is, so is this I'd pre-reno? What's that? Is this pre-reno or? That clo- like the appraiser, the appraisal that, that the bank did. The appraisal that the bank did. So at closing, the value on my house is the average was $78,000 and my cost base was thirty four. So I had like forty grand times 24 houses. Day, like at closing, that was my equity. What's so, it like to have? What's it like to be God's favorite, man? So <laughs> because, because I've never had a house over appraised. All of my homes have only under appraised. Yeah, every so time. It, uh, yeah, I don't and know. That's nine hundred and six. So, that's nine hundred and sixty thousand dollars of equity yeah, for sixteen dollars at, at closing. Yeah, so at that was before renovations. Month. Before as is. As is, and to show those aren't those show those aren't fluffy numbers. I'm actually because I sell those houses. So when a tenant moves out, I list them. So I have a house right now that I just got a. We listed it pretty much as is. We went and cleaned it up a little bit, and but I did not do a renovation on it. Just cleaned it up, and 
that just got an offer on it at 77.9. So at 78,000, right at where the appraisal was worth, they just got an FHA offer on it. And that was like, it's sitting in my inbox. I got to sign it today. So like, what's the motivation behind, behind the person that was the seller? So they had a partnership that they wanted to dissolve. They didn't want to damage the partnership. So their choice was just to sell the assets to preserve the relationship. So it was basically your relationship with the broker that was able to yield this. Yes. And they send it to your desk. Yes. And I also knew the owner too. I know the owner too. And I was just like, hey, Vince is a great guy. So play in your sandbox. Competitive advantage. Yep. Like I said before, I had a competitive advantage here because of those relationships. So that was the first deal. Fast forward a couple months, broker said, yeah, I heard you bought that portfolio. I have another one. Same thing. Out of state guy bought a bunch of these houses in the 2008, 2009 crash when they were just like, they're buying them for like $10,000 foreclosures that were just everywhere at the courthouse steps and stuff like that kind of story. And he was doing like land contracts and everything that, and he was just coming with them. So I was like, look, I'll do the same thing. I'll buy them. No, No contingencies. I'll take them and no issue. So that one, my cost basis was a little higher. It was, I think it was like maybe closer to 40, maybe 38,000 a door, 36, 37,000. So somewhere around there, a little bit higher than the first batch. I remember they, but they also were a little bit nicer. He's replaced a lot of the roofs, a lot of the windows, things like that. But they were still in quality and demographics. $38,000 with a new roof. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> so this is the one. So that was the one I was like, all right, I'm going to do the same thing. So I went, talked to my lender, talked to, I was like, this is the plan. You guys listen, because this is the million dollar mic drop. So you want to go and you want to find a lender. You want to develop those relationships with your credit unions are better for this than banks. Credit unions have a lot more flexibility. So you want to meet all your credit unions in the area. And you say, I have a great deal and I want to do 80% or 85% or whatever it is, 75% of the appraised value at closing and not the purchase price. If, the, if there's a delta there, I want the difference at closing. Because I'm in the market and I'm doing deals, I go around, I talk to people, say, who can do this? And I found a lender that could do this. So, because I already know I, I'm the comps because I just bought the first portfolio. So I know the comps because I am the comps. I bought the first portfolio three months ago. So you I go to the bank. I am the bank. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I already know in my head. I'm like, I am the comps. Like when the appraiser goes and gets comps to appraise this second batch, he's going to be looking at the properties I just bought. And it's the same, ended up being the same appraiser. And like I said, he appraised them at $78,000 a door. So I already know doing the math in my head, $36,000 cost basis. It's going to be worth $78,000 a door because it's the same product. And I'm like, so I know there's like a $40,000 delta in there. The difference this time is I know that the delta is going to be above their 80% or 85 LTV. So what I want is I want that difference at closing. And so I found a lender that would approve that. And they're like, yep, I will. They didn't know how much. They didn't know what I know. They didn't know how much over it was going to be. But they were like, yeah, it, we'll give you 85% LTV based off of appraised value. And if there's a difference, you can get that at closing. So at closing, it like my 20 or my 30 houses appraised, it was like 2 point whatever, 4 million or something like that. 2.2 million. And my cost base was like 1 point something. And so they, they ended up writing a check at closing for $459,000. And they had to go get it. She called me. She's like, we weren't expecting that. I had to go up all the way to the bank president or the president, everything that to it. I was like, Hey, 
Like, that was the deal, right? You said you were going to, and they ended up approving it. So the second batch of homes I did, I got, I bought 30 houses, got back at closing $459,000 and turned around and bought a badass Airbnb with it in Hawaii. Just completely just reinvested it. Boom. <laughs> and so that's making more money for me. So that was the second thing. And then now I have the third deal like that. This one's actually apartments relationship and going into the reinforcing the importance of building relationships in your current market. Like you said, your sandbox, I said competitive advantage. The very first property I bought was a four unit in this town in 2016. That guy ended up calling me, what are we, five years later, 2016, was that seven years later almost? Six years later saying, hey, are you still looking at property to buy? I'm like, yep. He's like, oh, my dad's having health problems and blah, blah, blah. And he's getting up there in years, looking to retire. He's got this 40 unit. Do you want to buy it? I'm like, yep. And now we got a great deal on that. I already knew as soon as he said the price, I was like, done. I'll do no contingency. I'll buy it. Um, and he's the original builder. So original builder of the property, owned it since 1975. As And he, the idea was to keep it forever. And then the kids obviously have other plans. So got that one off market. We're closing on that one next week. Went back to the same lender. <laughs> and got, got this property. Yeah. This is coming back. <laughs> so that does that deal still stand where if there's a delta between the, the cost basis and the appraised value, and that difference uses my downstroke. And it looks like I'm going to get it again. Like I said, we're going to probably close. By the time this airs, I'll close. Um, but it looks like it does. I know the appraised value on that ended up being 1.7. My cost basis was 1.4. And they're looking to do a 85% LTV based off appraised value, which equals a 1.45. So at closing, I'm going to be getting a 40 unit and 50 grand in my pocket. So Plug your mastermind. Yeah, so that's the hat trick on there. That and that's the stuff we do, and that's the stuff we're going to talk about in our mastermind is how to set up those structures, how to develop those relationships. So, thank you for giving me the opportunity to plug it. But it's going to be June 29th to July 2nd in the Big Island of Hawaii. We have a five star resort. It's going to be amazing. It's the Hawaii Millionaire's Mindset, the blueprint. And this is all we talk about. It's going to be two days to talk about starting businesses, scaling businesses, either on the franchise side or your own concept, as well as multifamily commercial real estate how those mix together, how to, developing a strategy where your business and your real estate strategies complement each other and grow. And then we're also going to have our estate plan, our personal estate planners presenting, our personal CPAs presenting. We're bringing our lenders that we use. Everybody will, you'll have access to just like we do. And it's in Hawaii. So I'm bringing my family out there. We're going to be out there for a week. So you want to start mixing that lifestyle freedom that we were talking about early in the show. You want to start mixing your business with your family and do these working vacations. It's a lot of fun. Awesome, man. And where can people find out about this and find you? Yeah, so I'm on Facebook. It's probably the easiest way to, to reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn too, but I don't check that as much. But you can find me on Facebook, find me on LinkedIn. TriCityEquity.com is the website we use the most, but Facebook's probably the easiest. And then the the Hawaii, Hawaii Millionaire's Mindset, the blueprint, you want to Google that and you'll go to that website to check out more about the event. And if you have any questions about that, reach out to me on that as well. You got it, brother. Man, appreciate you coming on, brother. You just, that was even cooler than I expected. That was a super fun one, man. Hopefully it um, has. Yeah, so everyone go check out the Mastermind. Check out the event. Check out Vince. Shoot him a friend request on Facebook if you feel like making money and being around people that are so that you could be like me and have really cool Facebook posts. That's why I'm on there all day. My screen time is so high. <laughs> so with that, this has been Vince O'Brien with the 
Action Academy Podcast, signing off. Hey, real quick. If you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want. And I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.